This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. wondered how to know if a corporate culture is right for you? How do you evaluate the goodness of fit between you and a prospective corporate employer? How do you exit a company and leave well, even if there are questionable elements influencing your departure? Today's guest has information, experience, and perspective on these challenging issues. So let me tell you about Peter H. Christian. Peter H. Christian's corporate career includes serving as an executive with Crayola Corporation. In his 17 exciting years at Crayola, he learned about corporate culture, innovation, and corporate politics. After Crayola, he became a founding partner and president of Enterprise Systems Partners, Inc., also known as ESPE, a business consulting firm in Northeastern Pennsylvania. He has worked with more than 300 clients in business development, profit improvement, operations, information system selection and implementation, and project management. He also has more than 40 years of experience in strategic and facility planning, continuous improvement, lean, and supply chain. His clients have realized millions of dollars in cost reductions and profit improvements while adding and retaining thousands of jobs. Peter is also the author of two Amazon best-selling business books, What About the Vermin Problem and Influences and Influencers. A variety of professional magazines have also published his articles. Peter says his Christian faith has always been important to him as he treats people with respect and honor, operates with integrity, and prioritizes his family. Pete, welcome to The Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. Great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Delighted to have you. And I know you've got a fun and interesting story to unpack, and I'm just going to jump right in if that's okay with you. Go right ahead. All right, so Pete, I want to ask you because, you know, very few people that others know personally, let's say, have the opportunity to work at the Crayola Corporation. And so let's talk about that. What did you really like about the Crayola Corporation and that influenced you to stay there for 17 years? Probably a dream to be able to still uh, participate in my childhood growing up with Crayola, but to actually work uh, for the company that produced that childhood and those memories, uh, and to be able to pass that along to uh, to other people, uh, particularly the young folks who uh, know crayons and markers and love them and appreciate them and, and use them on a regular basis. So it was just a very, very fun place to work, and I had a lot of good people that I worked with in that time. So they not only made crayons, they had fun with them at the same time. Yes, we did. And on occasion, we wrote memos in them. Yes. So we'll get that out of the way. People always ask me how many memos I wrote in crayon. And quite a few. 
you're talking about what it's like to work for what I call a strong legacy brand and a brand that has products that people actually do love and that they remember and that they think about. So if you think about the day-to-day at Crayola, what was exciting and fun for you personally in being there? There were always challenges, as you can imagine, in any business enterprise. Uh, We continued to expand uh, our operations. Uh, We got into the large stores like the Walmarts and the Targets, certainly had their challenges and making them happy and getting the goods to them on time. Uh, We also worked with school districts throughout the country, uh, and that had a series of challenges to it as well, because that was a different type of uh, setup than dealing in the commercial uh, space with stores. And uh, we we did some international sales, which was interesting as well. Most of the sales were in the United States, uh, but uh, we we did do uh, foreign sales as well. So I got to, to deal in some foreign enterprises as well. So there were a lot of challenges. You know, everybody thinks, oh, it's only crayons. Oh, it's only markers. Well, there's a lot of complexity to the uh, uh, art market and, and to the children's art market. And it was always a challenge. Every day was a challenge for sure. So like any other business, you really had to step up to the plate every day to really hit the ball pretty far and head in the right direction because of some of those challenges. And one of the things I know that made a difference was the attitude and the experience of innovation in the company. And you had some jobs that were really aligned with innovation. Tell us a little bit about what you did for the company on the innovative side and how innovation was important to to staying on the right track. As I said, to grow uh, was certainly a challenge. And what also made it interesting was we were pretty much the preeminent company when it came to crayons and markers and so forth. Uh, If you look back now, you probably have a difficult time thinking of other companies that, that provided that. But at some point, we had a different challenge in that uh, children got into a lot more leisure time activities. Girls got into sports, uh, boys got into song and dance. And then this little thing called the internet and video games came along, which certainly took a lot of children's time. And we had to compete with all of that. Uh, and we did successfully. Uh, we kind of re looked at who our target uh, market was and decided that it was children 4 to 12 that were in the development years. And and we really focused on them and and providing products to them uh, to keep them interested. Because with all those other things, the one thing that's still lacking a little bit is imagination. And there's nothing like giving a child a piece of paper and a box of crayons and saying, draw whatever it is you want to draw, tell me about what you're doing and what you like and so forth, and just letting them go wild with that. Uh, So we really played on that. And because of that, uh, we didn't really lose business. Uh, We we maintained and grew our business. Uh, In addition, uh, as you said, innovation redefined what uh, washable meant. Uh, At the time, washable meant that Things stayed permanent, you know, wash it, you wash your clothes and the colors stayed the same and, and so forth. Well, we came out with products that were washable, which were completely opposite of that, which meant if the child messed up and got paint or marker or crayon or whatever on something they weren't supposed to, you could wash it out. So it was washable. So we kind of gave a new definition to the term washable. 
uh, and started a whole new line of products. It was still crayons, but now washable crayons where you could get rid of the mess if you wanted to. So it was always interesting, uh, the different things that we got into and, and, and what we had to deal with. So it really sounds like one of the watchwords I'd say was agility and a certain nimbleness so that you didn't just say, okay, we're a legacy organization. We've always done it this way. We're going to continue to do it this way. You looked around at what was happening in the world and you had to adjust to those new events and create ways forward that may have been different than what you had done in the past. And so it sounds like it was important to think of your distinctiveness and reinvent it periodically is what I'm hearing. Yes, uh, what you hit on is a key thing, and I practiced agility. Uh, I was uh, associated with Lehigh University where agility was discovered, not invented, because uh, they did studies and found out that the top companies were agile, and one of the predominant things was the ability to change with uh, what was happening in the business world and, and to adapt your business to that. And I think we were excellent at doing that with Crayola. We were able to, as I said, deal with a, a competitor that you would never imagine. You know, you always thought about dealing with other companies that made markers and crayons and paints and so forth. And now all of a sudden you're dealing with a completely different uh, type of industry, computer game and uh, the computer itself and the internet and so forth. And, and we were able to do that successfully because we staked out where we belonged and where we felt we were strongest. And then we, we focused on that. That is such an important, I'd say, concept for any company that wants to be successful for the long term. It's to be thinking about where is your greatest opportunity for success and really to focus there. And you mentioned the four to 12 year olds and really thinking about the creativity that those children still need as they're developing. What's an example of something that you came up with as a company for that four to 12 year old that maybe you hadn't had before? And yet you were challenged to come up with because of the competition, so to speak. Well, washable products certainly was a big thing uh, because that's the age where kids tend to make messes, lots of messes, okay, while they're being creative. So washable was a big thing. I mean, that really took off when it hit. Another one was into colored pencils. Uh, we were not in the colored pencil market. Uh, lots and lots of companies were. And we did a survey and about a third of the people swore that they had bought colored pencils at some time. We had never sold one of them. So we decided, well, maybe it's time to get into the colored pencil market. So we did. And that kind of was geared towards the slightly older children. Because younger kids don't tend to, to be so much into pencils during the crayons and markers and that. But older kids certainly are graduating and, and we're using colored pencils. So we were in it and we became the largest seller of children's colored pencils in the country uh, from nothing to, you know, uh, just taking off. So that was a big thing. So we were really paying attention to what people wanted and what they thought we should have, even if we didn't have it, and then going ahead and doing it. Actually, I love that idea, the whole notion that you're paying attention to what the people in your marketplace were saying, what they wanted, and the opportunity. It didn't matter that you had never made colored pencils before. They thought you were making them. They thought they were buying them. And so it turned out, hey, that was a good business decision to go in that direction. So I think that's powerful. 
sometimes we can assume some things that aren't accurate and we really do have to ask the customer. Yeah. When somebody tells you you're doing something, you might as well do it because they already think you are anyway. So, and they think you're doing well at it. So why not go for it? Yeah. That became another revenue stream. So that was absolutely a, a big one. Yeah. Absolutely. And it took you to some older children too. So that that yeah. was a good thing as well. Yeah. And then it kind of got us out of that 12 year old, maybe into the teenage years and so forth. So we still touch them too, but uh, the focus was four to 12 mostly. So when you think about the culture of the company, and I want you to think about, I know you had an earlier job where you were in another corporation, didn't stay very long there. And one of the reasons you left had to do with the corporate culture. What was that company's culture like? And how would you contrast it with what you ran into when you got to Crayola and why you stayed so long at Crayola? Yeah, very different industry. It was industrial. They made chemicals and industrial products that separated uh, the air into the various components, oxygen and nitrogen and, and so forth. And I worked uh, in the equipment side doing quotations in order to get work, uh, whether to build an air plant or, or some type of equipment that held the air and was doing very well at it got along. I, I was, you know, working with folks that I got along with very, very well. But somehow I found out that while I was doing that, there were other folks in the company that were interested in talking to me about possibly working in their organizations. And I think any manager uh, that is a good manager uh, doesn't try to hold his or her people back. They try to um, groom them to, for bigger and better things and it kind of it's a badge of honor if you move on and you do well somewhere else because that speaks well of what you did uh in, in managing that person but unfortunately i found out my manager was preventing me from talking to these other folks he was telling them no i wasn't interested or he wouldn't allow it uh, and when i found out i was a little disturbed by that because i thought that was kind of blocking what could be a, a progression for me uh, and when I went to the human resource department to complain, uh, they kind of took the manager's side. And I thought, that's not the kind of place I want to be. I want to have the ability and the opportunity, if it presents itself, and certainly when people are interested, uh, where I can talk to them and possibly move into a, a new job and a stronger job, a better job, whatever the case may be. So I thought, well, if they're going to restrict that and they're going to back it up through human resources, then maybe this isn't the place for me. And that's when I started to look and, and found Crayola Corporation and, and wound up uh, going to work for them then. You know, this is such an interesting story about that prior company because there are a lot of leaders today that think that somehow they're retaining talent when they prevent opportunities and when it's just the opposite. If you want to attract and retain talent, you're continually offering development opportunities, ways to stretch, to grow and to learn, and new jobs actually produce that for people. So they were, in a sense, by hoarding, if you will, they were increasing the likelihood that they were going to lose a very useful resource. And they did. And and when I managed, when I got to be a manager, I was continually asking the folks that were under my direction, what is it you want to do? What is it that really interests you? And if they told me that they loved what they were doing, 
fine. Is there anything I can do to enhance that, to make it better? Uh, or is there something else that you would like to look at, some other experience that you're not getting right now? And if so, we can look at that and, and again, provide those opportunities. And I think that's the mark of a good manager in order to do that with his or her people, because it's all about personal development. Okay. And trying to hold on to somebody, you're going to lose them in the end. Okay. If they really want to stay with you and they like what you're doing and you provide the opportunities, that's great. But if they find a different opportunity, it's within the same company, then so much the better. Uh, you know, because it's not just about you and, and your organization, it's about the company in total. And I had lots of opportunities working at Crayola. I, I think in 17 years, I had 12 or 14 different jobs. So I had plenty of opportunity to expand and to, uh, to, to, to do things. You know, one of the things I love is that you're, when you release someone to go elsewhere in the corporation, you're really making the corporation smarter because each person is gaining more knowledge, more wisdom, more experience that they bring back to the corporation from wherever they are at that time. And that's significant too. Absolutely. I would like to think so. I would think that's what makes companies stronger uh, is the ability to groom their people and, and to give them different opportunities uh, to show their strengths. You know, think about a time, for example, when you were at Crayola, since you had all those many jobs and that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Think about a time you moved maybe to a new role, a new job, and the foundation of what you learned in the prior roles really assisted you in showing up in a greater and better way for the corporation. I think virtually every job that I took, I started as an, an engineer uh, and I learned from that and I was on the factory floor and I got to deal with lots of folks on the factory floor and learned tons of, of stuff from them. Uh, and then when I was given a new assignment, which was to uh, start to create some strategy uh, in regards to operations and so forth, I was able to use the information that I had and also, I had a good foundation. I knew why things were done the way they were done, how they got to that point, and then start to try to figure out, well, what's the next logical step to take it? Not to get rid of everything, because there are obviously things that are being done very, very well, but to build upon them and to expand upon them and to make them a little bit better. Uh, you had talked about continuous improvement being one of the things I was involved in. We were doing continuous improvement before we knew what continuous improvement was called. Um, we just did it. And that was another great thing about Crayola was they were always looking and, and encouraging people to make things a little bit better day by day. Uh, and that's great because it challenges your folks. Then the job doesn't become that humdrum, same old day after day, but it gets you thinking about how can I do this just a little bit better and, and uh, make it a little bit better, not just for me, but for the company as well. Yeah, I would think that having broader experience, and you're talking about this, is one of the elements that allows a person to understand more about what the company is doing and why, and to walk a little bit in somebody else's shoes to understand what they might need. So when you're in a different department or part of the business, oh, I understand why these people really have these requirements down there, because this is what's going on down there, as opposed to if you just stayed in a siloed functional area and never got to see anything outside. Those people were important to me. 
because what I did, the changes that I made had an impact on them. So I wanted to understand where they were coming from. And then I would go back to explain to them what we were doing and why we were doing it. So they had an understanding. So it just wasn't a change for the sake of change. I always hated that. I had that once where a boss basically accused me of resisting change. And I said, no, if it makes sense, if there's a positive aspect to it, but change just for the sake of change to me is not the right thing because you can get into some big, big troubles. And we did on occasion because of that, making changes just because somebody wanted to do something different, even though it didn't have necessarily a good uh, end result to it. You know, them understanding why to do something or why not to do something is critical. And if you're resisting making a change, either the change is not good for the company, that's one possibility, or someone hasn't clearly articulated the why that makes sense. In my consulting experience, I typically asked the client uh, when we were working on a project how this was going to impact their strategic plan and their long-term plans. The good folks would be able to tell me that. The ones that hadn't thought about it would give you that look like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then we would have to get into, well, where are you headed? Okay, because if you make a change and you don't know where you're headed, is it going to be a good change or not so good change? Again, not all changes are positive. And you want to make sure that it flows with where you want the company to head and that it makes sense. Because why go and do something that's totally contrary to where you want the, the, the company to be? Uh, then you're going to have to undo it and redo it. And, and, and that just doesn't make sense. It's a waste of time and, and money and effort. So um, so I really got a lot of cases uh, after a while, I, I decided to start with that rather than get into the project and then find out later that maybe we weren't headed in the right direction. They weren't headed in the right direction. Didn't really know what it was that they wanted. That is really so wise. I mean, keeping in view where you're going right from the beginning. I mean, think about driving you know, from one state to the next, you have an end destination in mind. And if you don't, as they say, you could end up anywhere. And so it's so important to, is this what we're planning to do now? How likely is this to get us to the end destination? Is it the most effective way to get there? And so on and so forth. So you're right. People have to think, I'll say a multiple chess moves down the board about what they're doing in order to be doing the right things. And are we going to wind up in the place we want to wind up in? That's the most important. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, if you, there's that old saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Well, never truer than in business. Okay. And sometimes the road you take may get you to a place you didn't anticipate being, and you may not want to be there. Like you said, driving and you find out you're in a completely different place than you thought you were going to be. Better think about it first. Pays to think about it first and maybe to consult the map a little bit and see, <laughs> see what's going on with those roads leading to where you want to go. <laughs> a lot of knee-jerk reactions, unfortunately. Oh, let's just clean this up and not worry about it. Well, cleanup can have uh, some, some not-so-good implications to it as well if you don't do it right. Well, what's an example of that? I mean, I know you've seen a lot in your consulting work. What's an ex Without naming names, but what's an example of... Someone thought, okay, cleanup is what we need, and then it really wasn't. Uh, the one example I like to use uh, is a lack of communication 
where a company wanted to look at expanding, whether it was in the current operation and building or getting into a new one. Uh, we did all sorts of studies on it, determined that probably the best move at the time was to just expand the current building and, and operation, but to move things around. And when we went to make the presentation on it, they said, well, we have this issue that you didn't address. Well, it's because we didn't know about it, which is that they had uh, some vermin in their facility that were causing problems. And they thought that what we were coming up with was not the best solution. But if you don't know what the problem is, okay, and it was never discussed in the entirety, you know, uh, so you can't take it into account, then it could cause a problem. They thought it was going to cause a problem. We didn't think it was. But again, they were the client. They had a different opinion. They were paying the bills. Uh, and the project didn't work out the way we thought it was because we thought we had a pretty elegant solution. And it turned out that they didn't think it was a very elegant solution. And that's the one thing you don't want to have happen when you're dealing with a client. You want to satisfy them. You want to give them the, the best advice possible. But in order to do that, you have to have the right information and, uh, and then go from there. So I'd say that was a big one that certainly uh, sticks out. Another one was uh, worked with a company where we came up with a number of improvement solutions that they seemed to like. And we even said to them, can you put a dollar figure on these when they're implemented? And they didn't. It was about a half a million dollars. They were about a five million dollar company or so. So a half a million dollars is a pretty good return. And uh, then we said, once we got all done, well, we'll help you to implement. And they said, no, 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 we have it. Don't worry about it. So about a year later, somebody calls me up and says, the company's very unhappy. They're not getting any of the benefits that you said they were. And I kind of was taken back. And I said, well, uh, what did they implement? And the fellow said, well, they didn't implement anything. And I was further taken back and said, well, how do you expect to get improvements if you don't make the changes that are necessary? And I got that dead silence. And it was like, why are we having this conversation? Uh, that's crazy to think that you're going to get improvements if you don't make the changes that you said you were going to make. So uh, sometimes you just wonder what goes through people's minds and why they do or don't do some of the things that they're supposed to do. Uh, and then have different expectations in the end. So it almost seems like that phone call should have been, you know, we thought we could implement this on our own. And what we've discovered is that we haven't been very good at it. And so we need to talk to you about that offer you had last time about helping us with the implementation. You would hope so. But again, what goes through people's, I, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I don't want to be a psychologist and you just want, but you wonder sometimes what goes through people's minds and what causes them to do some of the things that they do and say some of the things that they say, just truly astounding. You know, I'll say this too, that when you're working in partnership with someone, whether it's an outside consultant or whoever it may be, you have to remember that in that partnership, sharing of information, sharing of goals and objectives, co-creating together the, the end game and what's next and how we're going to do this. That's all important to success. So if you withhold information, it's going to change the value of what you get back. 
or make up things that aren't true just to provide an answer. And, and I have that every now and again. Uh, people will be embarrassed. And instead of just saying, I don't know, so we need to find out, they'll, they'll tell you something that's wrong. So you go on that premise because you want to trust the people that you're dealing with. And then you find out that it's not true. So again, I've learned through experience when somebody tells me something, there's that old saying, trust but verify. I've learned trust but verify because in some instances, they're not doing or saying what they should be. And uh, uh, again, it can cause problems down the road. And we, we don't want to have that. So it sounds like your consulting career is quite robust and is going well and the companies that you've come alongside to really facilitate their success and so on. Let's dial back a little bit because weren't you planning originally to retire perhaps from Crayola? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, I think most people, well, nowadays, I think it's a little bit different. I think the average lifespan on a job is five years, uh, and then people move to other companies for a variety of different reasons. But yeah, you know, I, I had pretty well thought that uh, I could uh, uh, end my career at Crayola. It was a great place to work. I had a lot of friends. Uh, the work was always interesting. The company was interesting. Um, but like they say, things don't always work out the way you planned and changes have to occur. And unfortunately, that happened uh, with myself and Crayola as well. And I didn't end my career there. You know, things. let's talk about that a little bit. In general terms, what happened, because this is the part I would refer to as the corporate politics, and without using any names or, you know, throwing anyone under the bus specifically, mm -hmm. just in general, what occurred to you and tell us about that? Well, it was a time when I was in charge of quality. And I have to be honest, I was given that job and I didn't really want it. Okay, I never saw quality as a place I wanted to wind up. But they decided, the powers that be, that I was the right fit and I should run quality. And I said, okay, then I will do the best job that I can until the next opportunity comes along. Well, in that, we had policies and procedures and, and right ways to develop products and so forth. And by and large, people did what they were supposed to. But there was one product manager who felt that he was above all that and smarter than everybody else. And he didn't follow the policies and the procedures. So he had caused some problems and I was getting a lot of flack from people. So I went to my boss who was a vice president and I said, this fellow is causing problems and we need to do something about it because people on the factory floor are very unhappy about this too. He's going against what we consider our quality guidelines. So he said, well, why don't you draft me a letter for me Okay, and explain what it is, he says, and then I'll take it from there and I'll address it. I did. I went out on vacation. I come back. Uh, I'm going through my voice messages on my telephone. And the fellow who was the problem left me a message uh, that was very, let's say, salty and accused me of everything under the sun and undermining him and so forth. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So I went through my papers and I found out that what my boss had done was taken the letter I had written to him and had put his copy on top, some type of note, and sent it out not only to this fellow, but basically to the world. So everybody had seen what this guy was doing. He had kind of been unmasked and he wasn't happy about it. 
So I called the fellow up and we had a conversation. I didn't apologize for the letter other than the fact that I didn't intend for it to go out that way. Um, but we had an understanding and we left it at such. Well, that day I was having lunch with his boss, who was the executive vice president for the company. Uh, and we did not have the most pleasant of lunches because he basically told me that I had messed with his person and I should never do it again uh, or it would be bad news for me. And ever since that time, myself and that vice president did not get along very well, even though I did a lot of things for him on a personal basis, not only on a business basis. Uh, and when the time came, because ultimately I wound up under his jurisdiction, still reporting to my current boss who reported to him, he basically said, time for you to let Pete go. He was not happy with me. So that was part of the office politics. And that led to the demise of me leaving Crayola. And I kind of sort of knew it was coming. You know, you get that sense, even though uh, people don't tell you. Um, but I, I kind of had that feeling for a while. So when it came, it wasn't a big surprise to me. Um, but it was very interesting. If you don't mind, I can spend just a couple more minutes. It was one of the most interesting partings that I think a person has ever had at a company. My boss didn't outright tell me that I needed to leave. He called me in and he said, you might want to consider other career options. Okay. Uh, again, good boss. And the options were within Crayola. He says, why don't you go back into engineering? You could head up engineering. I think you do a great job. So I said, okay. So we left and I get a call from human resources a couple days later. And the person says to me, so did you and your boss have the talk? And he, yeah, we did. Uh, so when are you leaving? And I said, I'm not leaving. We didn't have that kind of talk. He says, well, he was supposed to have that talk with you. I said, well, we didn't. I told her what we discussed. She says, I'll get back to you. Gets back to me in a week. And she says, we've decided that you've got three more months here. Then you'll go on, you know, whatever your termination uh, stuff is. Three months. So did you ever hear of somebody that was being let go by a company where they said, you're still going to hang around for three months? And you're still going to do your job. You're still going to go to meetings uh, every day because I had stuff and my kids were Crayola users at the time. So my office was full of their artwork. I'm taking their artwork home. I'm taking some of my personal stuff home. I'm taking a pencil here or there home. And I'm saying to my boss, do you want to see what I'm taking out? He goes, no, 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 not a problem. Again, do you ever hear of that where somebody gets let go and they don't escort them out and then bring them back and stand there and watch what they're taking. So for three months, I continued to work at Crayola. I continued to do my job. People calling me on the phone and going, thought you were leaving. Well, I am in a couple of months. So they're having luncheons for me and they're taking me out and they're telling me how much they're going to miss me. And it was the strangest parting I think a person's ever had with the company. And within, I would say, six months after I left, I was back consulting to them. So you tell me about getting let go by a company and, and having a terrible time and having it earth-shaking. It actually wasn't too bad. It was kind of pleasant. I got a year's pay out of it, got to get into consulting and, and all sorts of other stuff. And uh, and all is good. And I still have nice things to say about Crayola. It's just that um, this is executive vice president. And I didn't get along and I was on the wrong side of politics.
that's life, unfortunately. I love this story because you are telling a story about what it looks like to leave a company well. When you left, you didn't burn bridges. You still had relationships. You were able to consult back to the company, which if you had blown the place up, that certainly wouldn't have happened. And, you know, you also were opening up a new door of possibilities in your life for this consulting work. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because it goes, you know, back to the beginning of your career when you considered consulting, but now you're coming back to it. But in a minute, I'm going to ask you to talk about that. But I think there's something powerful in leaving with integrity. And before we talk about the opportunity of where you were going, talk a little bit about your faith walk, because as a Christian man, there are some commitments you have, there's some upbringing you had that probably if you didn't have that as a background, you might have maybe wallowed in anger and bitterness. I was raised Christian uh, in the Lutheran faith. Uh, my parents were quite religious. My grandparents were. Uh, so faith was a big part of my upbringing and uh, my life story. I took to be true that you treat every person with respect unless they you know, somehow violate that. No matter what they do, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, because we were all created by the same creator, my belief. We only have a limited time on this earth to do whatever we're going to do. And hopefully we're going to do good and we're going to leave it a little better than we found it when we were born. Uh, and the only way to do that is to work with people, to enjoy them, to respect them, to cherish them, uh, to give them the opportunities that they can. Now you can't force them to do things. You can't force them to do anything. You can't even, can't even force them to be a Christian. And I didn't preach to them about it. I just tried to lead through my example. Uh, again, treating them with courtesy, treating them with respect, giving them opportunities, listening to them. There's so many people that aren't listened to that just want somebody to listen to what they're saying and to hear what they have to say because it is important. And I tried to give that opportunity to the people that I dealt with in all shapes and forms. In fact, I probably had a better relationship with the people on the factory floor than I did in the office because they were more genuine. They were more real. They told me what I believe to be the truth. They didn't hold anything back and they were thorough about it and they were appreciative that somebody listened to them and then did things in regards to that uh, and what they said. So my faith, I think, has been a very important throughout my business career. I hope that I have done a good job. I know I could always do a better job as we all could, uh, but I have no problem that when my day comes and I have to answer for what I did, that I can answer well and say I, I lived as well as I could being a human being and, and doing what I could. And I truly love my fellow man. Yeah, that's an important word, loving your fellow man. Absolutely. And then as it turns out, 
even though you weren't planning to depart at that time. And and by the way, there must have been tremendous trust and respect for you. Because like you say, very often people get escorted out with the security guards on the same day and all of this. They weren't worried about you stealing things from the corporation. They weren't worried about you poisoning the well. You stayed for three months. You continued to work, which really speaks to your character and how you were viewed by the powers to be otherwise they would have operated in a different way and i showed up every day i didn't take advantage i mean after when you're told you're leaving in three months you can mess around all you want and take advantage of the company you know show up whenever you want leave whenever you and i didn't do that i still had an obligation they still were giving me a paycheck i still needed to earn that i still had an obligation and i had a lot of things going on and i was looking for who am i handing this off to and who am i handing that off to and and so forth so uh, when i left i think i left things in a good shape and i think that's an obligation on people's parts it's terrible when you you have a terrible dismissal and and you know one side hates the other and you hate them and i don't to this day they gave me great opportunities. It's a wonderful company. They continue to thrive, okay? And I wish them all the best in the world. I'm not part of it anymore. And I got to do other things, and that's okay. Uh, and I made sure that that happened. I made lemonade out of my lemons. How did you see this as an opportunity? Because a lot of times people are so stuck in the anger over what's happened they don't walk forward into the opportunity piece. So how did you have your mindset focused on opportunity? Well, one of the things that they gave me, in addition to severance and, you know, and a nice departure and all that was a counselor that I worked with on looking for other job opportunities. And when we sat down, she said to me, you know, you should consider going into consulting. Because whether you realize it or not, that's basically what you've been as an internal consultant to this company. I hadn't really thought about it. Actually, I had because coming out of college, I uh, uh, had an opportunity to become a consultant, but I didn't feel that I was ready for it at the time. So I deferred. And now I thought, well, now is the time. I've had almost 20 years in industry. Uh, I've done a bunch of different things, and uh, I think I can talk to the executives because I have 20 years and I was an executive, and when I speak, uh, I think they'll listen to me now. So I thought it was the right time to do it, and I pursued that then, and uh, it worked out great. Uh, as you mentioned, I worked with over 300 companies and uh gotten to to deal with lots of people and lots of industries and and lots of places and so forth and um it, it worked out well it worked out well at, at the time you don't think so you know it's like what am i going to do with myself next but uh, i just followed uh, my thoughts and and my heart and it all worked out well for me you know i think there's really something to be said for honoring your values no matter what is going on in your life and departing well and so on because at the end of the day the bottom line is that our lives are really in the hands of god and if he opens doors and closes doors it's for our benefit no matter what and the people who think they're doing something to us or whatever are not as powerful as they think they are because they can only do what god allows 
Yeah. God has a plan for all of us. We don't know necessarily what it is. Okay. And he'll give us clues. Uh, but we leaves it to us to figure it out. And hopefully we do. And, uh, and then we just follow through with that. Uh, you, you feel it. You know it when it's right and you do it. And again, you know, it was 20 years before I got into consulting, but it was my time to do it. God just said at that time, it's not your time to, to be a consultant. But uh, after Crayola, he said, well, Pete, now it's your time. He didn't directly say that to me. Um, but I looked at it and went, well, now's the time. And I had a good good run with that, a successful career. Uh, started an organization that's still going strong uh, even after I'm gone. And, and what more can you ask for? That's the truth. And sometimes God, God's preparation takes longer than we might think. I'm thinking about King David, and we know that it's probably from the time he was anointed king until he became king was probably at least 15 years. So he's sort of like, you know, the oil's poured on his head, you're the next king of Israel, but he doesn't step right into that role, you know, right away. It takes some time of preparation. So just as a brief parenthetical, what ultimately happened to that executive vice president who did all this stuff uh, to you? <laughs> well, he thought he was going to become president at Crayola. That didn't happen because Crayola had been bought by Hallmark Corporation. It's still owned by Hallmark Corporation. They did not particularly like him. So they let him go at some point. Okay, and then he kind of bounced around to some other companies. You know, it's funny when you become an executive, uh, companies tend to give you deference and will hire you whether you were a good executive or not. Okay, and so he got a couple of other opportunities and then he went into politics. What a surprise. Um, but, um, you know, he, he never got what it is that he thought he was going to get. He thought he was going to be the next president and he turned out that he wasn't. So. Well, here's what I would say about that. <laughs> Sometimes we get what we do. <laughs> well, yes. And I'm thinking about the, the Bible verse that talks about how we reap what we sow sometimes. And so, you know, you might seem to get away in the short term in terms of how you treat people. But in the long run, all of this that we do ultimately catches up with us. And we had some great conversations. You know, even after we had that incident where, you know, he told me not to mess with that guy and, and his people. And I did a lot of things for him. Okay. He came to me with a lot of problems. And one of the other things was when I was still in quality, uh, we were having a discussion one time and he said to me, um, you know, I understand that you're at war with the plant manager. And again, I did one of those, uh, what do you mean at war? Well, the plant manager who had been the head of quality before um, and now was the plant manager, he was messing around doing some things. And what would happen is, see, I wanted to be in quality assurance. Big difference from quality control. In quality control, you know, you take what somebody did and you inspect it and you tell them whether they did it right or not and if they did it wrong, what they did wrong. I didn't want that. I wanted quality assurance where you worked up front, you know, you, you checked on the materials before they got to the plant. You put the processes in place so that if people followed them, they would have success and all. That's what I wanted to do. Well, unfortunately, 
this plant manager who claimed that he was doing quality control wasn't and his people were messing around. So the product managers would come to myself and my people and say, we need you to go out and find out what's going on because we don't trust them. So he happened to, the vice president happened to be out in the plant and they were complaining to him. And I said, well, you know why my people are out there doing that? Because your people are calling us and asking us to. I said, now, would you like me to stop doing that? And just leave it to the plant? Or do you want me to respond to what your people are asking me to do, me and my folks? And he kind of gave me that look. He goes, well, of course I want you to do it. I said, then I'm not having a war. I said, you should go talk to the plant manager and tell him to get his act together. And he should actually do quality control because I don't want to do it, quite honestly. I want to do quality assurance. You know, so we would have some very frank conversations about stuff. But yet, at the end of the day, he still was not happy with me. I was not one of his folks, and that's just the way it is. You know, and sometimes that is the way it is. We're not yeah. going to be liked by everybody. Everybody's not going to be happy with us and all of that, and it's just how it turns out. So now, you've had this long career now, extensive career, including your years in consulting. And mm -hmm. as you look around in the world today with the lens of you know, seeing the rear, seeing what's going on at the moment, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges uh, or, or biggest issues for leaders to really deal with and face in today's climate? First of all, start listening to each other. We aren't, okay? We have, uh, too many of us have our viewpoints and we're stuck to it and we don't care what anybody else says, uh, particularly if it's of an opposing viewpoint. Whatever happened to civil discussion and differences of opinion and coming to resolutions about stuff. And I see so much incivility. It just, it's horrible. It really, really is. How do you get things done? You, nobody ever gets a hundred percent of what they want. If you get 80% of what you want, you've done really, really well. And that's through compromise and negotiation and understanding the other person's viewpoint. And we're not doing a lot of that right now. And, and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And it should be getting better. We're supposed to be getting better at what we do. And we're not. I think we're getting worse at it. And, and that really bothers me, okay? Um, because until we get to that point, either things aren't going to happen or you're going to get the extremes that are going to push their viewpoints and you know it's just going to get worse and worse and worse so i think that needs to happen both in business and that needs to happen in our everyday lives as well also valuing people uh again listening to them there are a lot of smart people out there that we don't ask what their opinion is and get information from and we need to do more and more of that the person who's doing the job every day is the expert because they're doing it every day. You're not, okay? Particularly as a consultant, you go in, you're learning from the people. You get a, a short uh, smidgen of what they're doing and you've got to make decisions from that. So you better get a pretty good accurate viewpoint of what's going on and, and why things are happening they want, the way they are. And you got to listen to people. And then you got to kind of sift out the good and the not so good and, and all that stuff. So you've really got to find out what's going on. And then you got to deal with it. Um, I just saw a, a quote from Steve Jobs today that understanding the problem, it goes a long way to solving it and how true that is. If you don't understand what the problem is, how are you going to solve it? Uh, like the instance I had given you before about, you know, we came up with this new layout and then they said, well, we have this problem. Well, we didn't know about the problem. So how are you supposed to deal with it if you don't know about it? So that type of thing. 
So I think those are some biggies. And then I think communication with all the ways we have to communicate with each other, cell phones and internet and telephones and, you know, on and on and on. I think we do a pretty poor job of communicating with with each other. And I think that needs to improve too. It goes to listening. Okay. But then it also goes to making sure that people really understand what it is you're talking about and that you've come to agreements on what needs to be done and, and move ahead with it. And, uh, that, you can have all the mechanisms in the world, all the technology. If you don't do that, it goes down to basic skills again, then you're not going to communicate well. You know, this is really the bottom line of everything we've been talking about today is really about communication. It's about valuing people. It's about listening to people and hearing and implementing their ideas and so on because they are on the front lines and they have a line of sight oftentimes that we don't have when we're at the executive level or even an outside consultant perspective at times as well. So this is important, what you're saying, is with all the sophisticated tools that we have, we haven't always gotten better at civility in our communication or the valuing and caring about people at a high level, if you will. So let me just roll something else in. You have these two books. Hmm. What about the vermin problem? and influences and influencers. What did you include in those books? As I know you've got wisdom from all of these experiences. So somebody who gets them and who's going to read it, tell us what they're going to get out of it. Okay, let's go to the second one first, which is probably the first book I should have written, Influences and Influencers. In our lives, there are things that impact us, whether it's people, whether it's things, uh, experiences, whatever the case may be. And through those individuals and experiences and so forth, we shape uh, how we do things, why we do things, what we're about, how we make decisions. So what I did in that book was to bring out people that I thought uh, had an impact on my life, both positive and negative. Uh, and what that is and why I think and, and act the way I do. Uh, so that's what influences and influences is about. And quite honestly, we all have that. We should recognize it. And quite honestly, we should give thanks to the people who've had a positive impact and make sure that they, they know that they're appreciated for what they've done for us. The other book, What About the Vermin Problem, which probably should have been book number two, but wasn't, was experiences that I had both working at Crayola and also working in consulting. Uh, where I had uh, clients or individuals that I worked with uh, that either made very good decisions and had very positive outcomes or very poor decisions and had some not so good outcomes from it. Uh, And again, that goes back to the influences and influencers. What causes them to make the decisions that they do that has an impact on what they're doing and how they're doing it. So the two of them not only deal with business, and people and and things that you come across, but they deal in life in general because we have that throughout our lives. People who impact us and and help to influence us and help us to make decisions, good, bad, and indifferent, and uh, what the the, uh, outcomes are of those. So if you read the two together as a set, I think you'll, you'll do very, very well. They're both fast, good reads, but they get to the point, and a lot of people have told me, I can relate to that because that's exactly what I've gone through in in my past. And I wish I had had that 20 years earlier. So I would have had that as a guideline. That's phenomenal. One of the things you said is something I really think is important. That is truth 
and wisdom are applicable to both business and life in general. That's an important component there. So how yes. can people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Okay, three ways. LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Look up Peter Christian, adjunct professor, speaker, writer, consultant. You'll find me. Uh, you can send out a thing that you would like to uh, to hook up and converse and so forth. That's number one. Number two, I have a website, which is Pete Christian Books, all one word, PeteChristianBooks.com. It has a place in there where you can send me a message. You can read all sorts of articles that I've written and so forth. Uh, but you can write to me and say, I would like to talk, you know, do whatever. Uh, and the third way is uh, my uh, email, which is my initials, P-H, and then my last name, Christian, the number 53 at gmail.com. So any one of those three, uh, LinkedIn, uh, my website, or uh, my uh, email address. And people can get your books also on your website? Well, you can order them. You can read about them, but then order them through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of the major distributors for books, you can get them. I think I'm on 15 or 20 different uh, places. So, Okay, well, that's really great as well. So as we're wrapping up, Pete, tell us just maybe some closing kind of a comment about your words of wisdom that you want to leave for my community of corporate executives, something that either wraps up what you've already said or that you haven't said yet. I would say believe in yourself. Be true to yourself. Be true to the people you deal with. Be open and honest with them. Uh, granted that not everything you can say, but by and large, uh, as honest as you can be and as open as you can be with them, uh, trust other people. And when you find out that you can't trust them, then you deal with them as you have to deal with them. Okay. Because some people we have to deal with, even though they may not be the greatest in the world, that's just the way life is, but always have confidence in yourself. Okay. And whatever decision you make, hopefully it's the right decision at the time and never look back because it's done. So then you look at where you go from here and what you can do better because we always can do better and you move on. But stop looking backwards. They always said uh, looking in the rearview mirror never gets you to where you want to be. It's looking through that windshield straight ahead as to where you're headed and, and where you're going to be. I love that. I want to thank you so much for the orientation that we're going forward. We need to look through the windshield. And thank you for your transparency and your honesty today, talking about what can be some really difficult topics and subjects in our show. So I really appreciate having you here, Pete. I appreciate you having me. I enjoyed it. Wonderful. So we're going to close out today for all the rest of you who are listening with a scripture reading that I think is relevant to what Pete experienced and what he did uh, navigating some of those challenges. This comes from 1 Peter, the third chapter, and it starts with verse 8. And it says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace 
and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we can certainly see in today's episode and speaking with Pete Christian that the eyes of the Lord were upon him and his career. And no matter what happened, he still emerged successful. And the same is true for us when we live according to the values that we hold dear and that we espouse. So have a blessed day and thank you for being here. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.